It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday up and down the West Coast. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. From our Dixieline Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, this is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to our Thursday podcast as we head towards a great sports weekend with an absolute ton of topics on the table. John, turn your oven on, (laughs) preheat it to 350, stick your head in the oven, Ask me how you feel. Unbelievable. 97 degrees here. We don't know what the heat index is because the thermometer on the back patio is broken. And we got a hurricane coming. Yeah, hurricane coming up the bar. Five to eight inches of rain on the weekend, according to our staff meteorologist, John Riley. You know, and I have tickets to the Padre game on Saturday night. So who knows what's going to happen? You want any galoshes? You want an umbrella? (laughs) Ring gear, baby. Boy, we got a lot to talk about. We're going a lot of different directions, and this has been a very emotional roller coaster ride of a week. Yeah, it, it has been. I mean, there's been NFL news, college football, the baseball has been unbelievable. Yeah, our podcast on Thursday, our bonus podcast on Monday, brought to you by the good people at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it. Build it. Enjoy it. Nine Dixie Line stores in San Diego County to serve you. Padres can be good, can be bad, might be up, might be down, drive you crazy, yes. drive you to be nuts. I, I, they, they won last night. They won two or three of Baltimore. Is this another Teasley or, you know, what, what can we have faith in this team? There are so many topics about Padre baseball, some good, some bad. Uh, Jekyll Hyde, explain how you can win series against first place Atlanta, first place Texas. First place, Baltimore. Lose series to last place, Pittsburgh, twice. (laughs) Lose series to Arizona, Kansas City, last place, Washington. How you could be so good, so electric on one night or in a short period of games and then be 34 and 39 against teams with 500 or worse records and then sit here at home with a 500 record. It's it, it's absolutely Jekyll Hyde to me. It's amazing. Are they still in the race? Check with me at midnight after tonight's game. We'll check back tomorrow after the Saturday game and after the Sunday game. Who knows whether they're still in the race? They seem to be hanging on, but then they keep giving ground. It's just, it is so screwy. There is There is no explanation, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it, I can't believe what they're doing here because they are how, how do I say this? It's it's like they're they win one by a ton and then they lose those close games and we're back and forth. I mean, it's emotional that I I I I feel like I'm getting pulled back in, but really I think this team is probably doomed, but they're only four and a half games out. A lot of baseball to be played, but once we get beyond this homestand, once we are done with the troubled Diamondbacks and the young, struggling Marlins, as this thing turns to September 1st, all oh, the schedule is really, really rugged. Let's talk about some hot bullet points topics to talk about. I don't understand why he would say this, but then again, I didn't understand why he said that talking Manny Machado, <laughs> what he said this week in the Padre Clubhouse, what he said that after the Dodgers in the World Series a couple of years ago. 
Why would he say, in the midst of the up and down, in and out, good and bad performances, his own year-long struggles, why would he say, we don't want any bandwagon fans? In other words, he's kind of tired of the heat, tired of the booing, etc. Why would Manny Machado say that? Just like at the end of the Dodgers' run there before he left, he said, well, I don't have to be Johnny Hustle. Why would you say that type of stuff, especially in a community that has now had 50 sellouts at Petco Park for a sub-500 team? Just don't understand that. Let's talk about El Nino. And I'm not talking about weather. I'm talking about, well, maybe I am, the hurricane on the base pass last night. How about the brassy steal of home by Fernando Tatis? One of my big concerns was he didn't look right over the last group of weeks. I mean, he's, he had the stretch. He hit 109, which is amazing. But, and I think he's been playing hurt. I think there's something going on. Either it's shoulder, fatigue, ribs. He has run into a bunch of walls. But then all of a sudden, it's, he threw this light switch on, goes from first to third on a really bad pickoff throw. And then he kind of looked like Jackie Robinson at third base, dancing mm-hmm. down the line, watching the pitcher, pitcher not watching him. Boom, gone. Yes. Boom. Pitcher never even threw the ball. Catcher stood there dumbfounded. So did Juan Soto. So did everybody in the stadium. I mean, he he just kind of edged his way down the path. We could kind of sense, is this going to happen? And then boom, he was gone. I mean, it was a phenomenal individual play. He plays like that. This team wins. I will say this, and I, and this also links to Machado, and it probably links to Soto. John, they have played so many innings, so many at-bats. They never come out of the lineup. And the 162-game season is such a brutal grind. Bob Melvin, well, I guess when the players play well, everything is okay. But I'll just ask this question. Here we have Josh Hader, elite closer. Josh Hader pitches three times in 12 days. Mm. And now, granted, Padres were behind the scoreboard. Uh, they don't ask him to go an extra inning when the guys in front of him all have really bloated ERAs right now. So that's the use of Hader and who you can trust in the bullpen. That becomes a discussion point with Melvin. You add into this, we have the kid catcher Luis Campusano. Please explain to me why this kid would have a couple of games where he'd have four base hits and not be in the lineup the next night. It's happened three times now. How is that possible? I understand you got Gary Sanchez, you're trying to get other guys going, but if the kid's hot, the kid ought to be on the lineup because you're running out of schedule. You need to win games any which way, and your kid catcher comes off a couple of four-hit games, and he's not in the batting order the next night. And then the fans. I give the fans a lot of credit. They've put up with a lot of negativity and a lot of disappointment. And then there was this lady in the left field upper deck. (laughs) Holds up a sign. Baseball terminology for DFA means? Uh, Yeah, release. Designated for? Assignment. assignment. Holds up a sign. Yeah. DFA dash AJ. Ah. Harsh. Okay, it's coming. Fans have spoken. Anyhow, so those are some of the storylines with the Padres. Padres get the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, this four-game series. Uh, Arizona is kind of wheezing. They get Miami in here after that. And then, and then obviously, the schedule is going to get tougher. So tell me, Jekyll, 
hide, pick a topic off the table, yeah. respond. You're all over the road on me, just like your team. Yeah, this team is <laughs> unbelievable. So love Tati stealing home. Did you feel that energy? Oh. It was like when he was the kid that came up and was a 2019 season, and he was electric and just it changed the whole vibe in the stadium. That's the Fernando we want, you know, and he's smiling and laughing, and it just brings everybody up. And the fans, it brings everybody oh, up. Oh, crazy. Should have run back out of the dugout with the sombrero on. Yeah, exactly. So th- where is that Fernando? Like, to your point, maybe he's been hurt. He just never seemed like that guy. But, man, he flipped a switch. Boom. Um, the other comment, you know, th- that I'll make is about Campisano. I agree with you. He is a really good hitter. Um, and Sanchez had that grand slam, the first one of the year, um, earlier uh, a couple of days ago. But it seems like those two are very good at being catcher DH flip flop because who else you got? I mean, well, you had Choi, but that was O for the acquisition. And then yeah. you got Garrett Cooper's got a couple of hits, but. And then Ben Gamble is kind of interesting, but, you know, I think Campisano just bests them all. So unless Melvin is so reliant on that lefty-righty matchup thing, you know, sometimes you just got to play the hot hand regardless of what side of the bat, uh, plate they swing from. And what do you think about DFA AJ? <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone's looking for a scapegoat, you know. And I'll tell you what, I it's, I mean, AJ is, is, is no saint. He, he, he's made mistakes. But I, in my opinion, he's made way more good moves than bad. And, you know, when you get this all-star roster together and they don't hit and some of these guys don't pitch, that's not really his fault. I mean, he's put together this ensemble. And meanwhile, the farm system is in the top 10. Did you see that? They just ranked the farm system. So I, I still think AJ should be safe, but who knows? I mean, the fans are beginning to mutiny right now. That's the second best placard I've ever seen at Petco Park. The first one was your Giants, Barry Bonds. Probably <laughs> yeah. the same woman in left field that held up the placard yeah. with hypodermic needle when mm-hmm. Bonds came to home plate. This is at the height of the... I did not use steroid era. Yeah, well, my my favorite sign, it wasn't at Petco. It was at Viejas Arena. It was the Hacksaw Big Head, you know, bouncing (laughs) around there with the show. (laughs) Okay, so we go from the Padres storyline to the next team. And there seems to be nothing wrong with this team. Oh, these guys are just rolling. I mean, they're hitting, they're, they're pitching. They can't be stopped. As we do our Thursday podcast... The Dodgers are in first place. They're running away with the National League West. It's kind of an elite National League. It's either Dodger Blue or the Atlanta Braves. Dodgers, 10 wins in a row, 14-1 and one streak, 73-46. and 46. I, They don't want to look too far down the road, but there was probably some mumbling in Dodger Stadium. Bring on those bleeping Braves. Because those two teams look like they're on a collision course uh, in the National League Championship Series. Here's the amazing thing. In the month of July, and we have chronicled the Dodger pitching crisis nonstop. What happened in the offseason? Who left? Who came? Why'd you do that? Start of the season, all the injuries, the inefficiency, now the return to health. The starters in trouble for a chunk of time. The bullpen was blazingly brutal for a chunk of time. In July, Dodger starting pitching had an ERA of 6.18. Unbelievable. Ghastly. Yeah. In, in August, in this hot mm-hmm. spell, 2.18 oh, ERA wow. from their starters. Well, what, what changed? 
health. Yeah, okay. Okay. So we're sitting here looking at a Dodger team that's on a 14-1 and run with 10 wins in a row. Kershaw was on the I.L. for the better part of five to six weeks. And you still hold your breath when he pitches, but he's pitching well since he came off. Urias really staggered. Then he got hurt, had two different injuries. On top of that, they obviously lost Dustin May very early in the process. As three of your top starters out for large chunks of time, you would think, that's death. Mm -hmm. And what happens? They call up the kids. And Bobby Miller might be a candidate as the best rookie pitcher in the National League. They called up Emmett Sheehan, had some good starts. They asked Grove and Stone. Now they just called up another kid, Gus Varland, at a 2.18 ERA at Oak City in the PCL. 2.18 in the Pacific Coast League? Are you kidding me? Yeah, Pitching that's, that's at altitude? crazy. So, I mean, look at what the Dodgers have been able to do with the significance of the injuries, the mess that the bullpen has been for a large chunk of the season. There is no closer up there that equals the closer down here. And look what the kids have done when they've given them the ball. I mean, it's Bobby Miller was so far ahead of the curve. So I'm just, I'm so impressed. And Dave Roberts has managed this thing. And Andrew Friedman has given him some extra things, like the J.D. Martinez acquisition and the David Peralta acquisition. Those guys have won a chunk of games for them with one big swing. And you got Freddie Simmons and you got Mookie Betts and... I mean, it's it's kind of unique with all the negativity that the Dodgers had, most of it on the mound, that they are where they are. Yeah, I mean, they're a very impressive organization, and they're also in the top 10 with their minor league program. So Friedman has just done a great job. And, you know, those guys, they produce. I mean, you, you got to tip your hat to it. But you know what? When we post a lot of the video clips um, on social media— there is a battle going on between Padre fans and Dodger fans, smack talking, you know, just just a lot of trash going on because, you know, everything seems to always go the Dodgers way. And for the Padres, you know, they're like one of the most unlucky teams in baseball. So, you know, it's a regular season. If, if, if We'll see what happens in the, the in the playoffs. But I think to your point, I think Atlanta looks like the tough team to be. Oh, my goodness. Atlanta is just just taking a cover off the ball. And they've had a lot of pitching injuries, and they're having an unbelievable batting order season. And the Dodgers are pretty doggone good, too. One other baseball note, because we have tracked this guy all year long. Yeah, I mean, there's always some new report on Trevor Bauer. What do you got, Hacksaw? The Yokohama Bay Stars. That's where you send his mail. He's having a phenomenal season, a dominant season. Trevor Bauer's record is now 9-3 and three with the Bay Stars in, in Japan's Nippon League. 2.82 ERA. At one point, it was 7. Wow. He's down to 2.82. Got 115 strikeouts and 111 innings of dominance. He threw a pile of home run balls at the start of the season. I think he had seven in his first couple of starts. He has now, he's only given up six since that point of time in May. So he's really dominant. It's a one-year contract in Yokohama. I'm just curious. He's pitching his way back into the major leagues. Do you think anybody touches this guy because of the toxic situations, plural, he's put himself in? Yeah, I, I think he will get picked up because he hasn't been proven criminal in the court of law, right? So is he still like, you know, in he's still— The in, lawsuit is still on the docket. Okay, it's still out there. But, you know, it's kind of like the Matariza thing where, you know, he wasn't— Guilty, and actually the the suit was dropped. So, as much as we 
don't like Trevor Bauer's shenanigans and the way he conducts his personal affairs, he still might be, you know, at least not in jail. And if he's not in jail, then he could pitch for a major league team. And there are a lot of teams that need major league pitching going forward. Oh, big time. Now, this would be for the winter meetings. This would be for next season, the offseason acquisition. But I'll be intrigued to see who is interested in signing him. Hey, our Thursday podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. John, before we move on to the next topic on the table, football, remind everybody about what happens at the end of our show and remind everybody about what they should do to be part of our team. And then I'm going to remind them where they should go when the show is over because they need to find and look at something else. Go ahead. Yeah, so Fans Forum. It's your chance to get involved. Already guys are stacking up in the in the Fans Forum. Just drop your question or comment for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved. You know, that Fans Forum segment when we break down the videos is usually one of the most popular ones we do. People love it. And so, uh, you know, be sure to check that out and, and drop in your comment or question question on the live chat and uh, be sure to subscribe as well wherever you get your podcast as well as on all the social media platforms subscribe on youtube like follow share and subscribe and a reminder when we're done with all this go to my website that's the address right on the top leehacksawhamilton.com it's all written you get all the great things that i used to create for sports talk radio it's now in written form on the website you give me five minutes you'll know everything there is in the world of sports Best 15 Minutes in Sports Radio, Hacksaw's Headlines, My One Man's Opinion Column, and Hacksaw's Mini Poll. And a reminder, share with all your teammates what we do every day of the week on our podcast. Subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. And since we don't have any friends, we'll take the five-star rating if you want to give us that. Let's talk football because there's a new storyline here. It's probably going to be a point of conversation going forward considering where we just came from. Yeah, well, I'm anxious to hear the details of this, but the headline looks intriguing to me. Is this a restructuring of the system? Well, this is what this guy thinks. Trev Alberts was a great player at Nebraska, went to the Indianapolis Colts as a linebacker, uh, got into broadcasting after he retired because of injuries at ESPN. He eventually worked his way back to Lincoln. He's now the director of athletics trying to rebuild Nebraska Cornhusker football. He said over the weekend he thinks there is a new future coming to college football. He doesn't like what he sees. Take a number, get in line behind us. We don't either. He theorizes that college football is going to be full of regrets by the time most of these TV contracts in the next four or five years come up for renewal. He says it's not good for college athletics across the board. It's not good for college football. He thinks that the TV networks are not going to pay the mega money they have just committed to each of these major conferences. And he said indirectly, you had to read between the lines, you really think Fox and ESPN and CBS and the others want to give $50 million a year to Vanderbilt or to <laughs> Rutgers or to Maryland or the have-nots right. and all these major conferences? His theory is what might happen, and it's been rumored out there that there, there could be some type of super conference. His idea that there'd be a champion super league in college football. And we'll take the creme de la creme of every football conference, take the top two or three, and they form maybe a 25-team super conference just for football. And the networks would then pour all their money in to the super conference pool 
might be Michigan, Ohio State, and somebody else in the Big Ten. You know, a whole bunch of the marquee names, obviously, in the in the SEC. A couple of top ones in the ACC. A couple of big ones uh, in in the Big Twelve. Maybe the leader, whoever is left in whatever the Pac Four becomes. But it would be a twenty-five team super conference. Then everybody else's sports, basketball down to the Olympic sports, would spin back to their former conference affiliation. You would play basketball in the ACC. Everybody would play college baseball in the SEC. All your Olympic sports would be what they are on the West Coast and whatever the Pac-4 conference turns out to be. The TV networks would pour big money to the Champions League, but they would then pour more some money, not $50 million per year per school, but a figure to every conference school so it could also co-fund its second-level sports, its Olympic sports, etc., so, I mean, that's that's his proposal. Uh, and he said the TV networks would pile into the Champions League, but the TV networks would also be bidding second-tier contracts, if you will, for everybody in the ACC, for basketball and track and field, whatever those structures are going to be. And he thinks the conferences, without their football programs, have to go back to regionality. And we have to go back to the rivals that we mm-hmm. had for 50 to 75 years. Um, and March Madness money would still be there. You know, the, the prime example would be if if the Champions League happened and Georgia and whomever else in the SEC, Alabama, Auburn, maybe. I don't know how you pick them. But they would get the mega contract. But Georgia would also get a second-tier TV contract with money to fund all these other programs. And there'd still be all the March Madness money Mm -hmm. that would go to the 68 teams and those conferences. So it'd just be funded differently. But he says, we got to get back to what we were before. And I think he's stung that they're, you know, he played in the Big 8 and that, that became then the Big 12. I think he's stung that a whole bunch of that has gone away. So it's 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 a novel concept. It's just an idea form out there in the galaxy in the solar system. But he is of the opinion, and I expressed his opinion a couple of weeks ago. People are going to regret what they did to college football by this this money grab. Go ahead, John. Well, this is going to be a, a more of a how do I say this? That the haves and have nots are going to get further separated because if you're not in that super conference and you're a football program, you're going to be at a huge disadvantage because you don't have the funding and the resources to compete. So, I mean, how many Power Five? Division one football programs exist. It's like 60, 80, 100, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so this would wean it down to like essentially 25 or 30 that would get all the money or a significant portion of it. But you mentioned something that was interesting that the, you know, does Fox and ESPN want to spend 50 million a year with Vanderbilt and all these other schools? It does invite the question. We saw what happened with Bally Sports and the Padres, and that money went away. The revenue model is shifting. I wonder if it would ever come to a point where some of these big networks might have to renege a deal or or demand to renegotiate it because the, the dollars and cents aren't there. Well, all the deals are funded by, quote, the big boys. Mm-hmm. They're not funded by the regional sports network and a little guy trying to play above his weight. Uh, so I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think, as, as Trev Albert said, 
Why does the network want to give wads of money to the bottom feeders of these conference? Let's just form a super conference of the top 25 in college football. Now, big arguing point and sports talk radio and us guys on pie. We need to have something to argue about. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I mean, the next argument, if that were ever to happen, well, who's going to pick the top 25? And yeah. what if their programs dip? Are you going to have relegation and boot them out and put somebody else in? Is mm-hmm. there anybody that can earn their way in to, quote, the Champions League? Yeah, and then would would only Power 5 conference schools get in? Or would a Mountain West school be able to qualify? And then in the end, I think this is ultimately what the TV networks would prefer. You know, it's like the NFL. There's, what, 32 teams? This would be 25, 28 teams. It's going to be like a, a junior NFL league, and that would be perfect for them. And, the, yeah, they can spread a little bit of money to the other pro programs. But I just see this as further dividing the haves and have nots. But the other half of this, you know, of of making all the other sports, keeping them regional, keeping the conferences together, that part makes sense. I haven't talked to anybody who's got linkage to UCLA or USC, including some big cigar alums. I haven't talked to anybody that really likes what the Bruins and the Trojans did in the middle of the night. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Okay, from that, we got some NFL notes to talk about. Yeah, so let's let's go here. A little bit about the Steelers, the Lions. Well, you know, we just came through the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Air Coriel has landed in Canton and how how cool that phrase was. Well, the, the committee that handles coaches and contributors just went through a vote yesterday and they had a whole laundry list of contributors that's where Coriel got into the hall from. So they have now voted for 2024. Buddy Parker, 1950s, 1960s, controversial coach, is going to be the representative in the contributor class for the Hall of Fame induction. Hmm. A little bit surprised because they bypassed Mike Shanahan, who's won a bunch of Super Bowls, Tom Coughlin, who's won a couple, uh, Marty Schottenheimer won 200 games in his career. Robert Kraft, who's created the Patriot Nation Empire, they bypassed a whole bunch of guys. Buddy Parker was an old-school 1950s guy when the Detroit Lions were really good. That was about the last time they were really good. (laughs) He had Bobby Lane. He had Joe Schmidt. He had, I mean, old-time football fans will remember them. They won two championships in the old NFL. They played in the third championship game, and they wound up losing to Cleveland. Then he left Detroit, went to Pittsburgh, and he rebuilt the Steelers, who had been down. The Rooney family didn't always win. They were down forever from the 1930s into the 1960s, and he took Bobby Lane, his quarterback, with him and signed him, and Pittsburgh put together a group of good years and he eventually left and here came Chuck Knoll and then the rest is history. So Buddy Parker, different guy, uh, but it sure had impact on, in two cities that have been down for a long period of time. So he has now been voted in to go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame posthumously, just like Eric Coriel did as a contributor to the league. Yeah, well, I, I don't know much about this guy at all, but I, I do know that the Lions were dominant in the 1950s. So if he was the architect of that, then yeah, he probably might be deserving. Was was there something unique about the way he coached or his offensive game plan that made him special? Well, he was down the field. Bobby Lane was a Texas quarterback gambler. Just down the field, throw the freaking football and power running backs. And he took a bunch of the Detroit guys with him 
at that point in time as Detroit went into transition. Buddy Parker wound up in Pittsburgh, and Bobby Lane's there with John Henry Johnson and a guy by the name of Buddy Dial, a wide receiver, just chucking the ball down the field. So he was different. He did not have the massive impact that Eric Coriel mm-hmm. had with his tree of coaches and his pages out of his playbook that everybody took. But Buddy Parker, for that short period of time, his record, I think, was 107 76 and 9. And that was in an era where you had the New York football giants and Paul Brown in Cleveland that kind of owned and dominated the league. And Buddy Parker did a pretty good job. Okay, so we go from coaching. Let's talk about this favorite conversation. Running backs, where do they fit? Yeah, we talked a little bit about Ezekiel Elliott last time. So there have been some updates? Well, the updates are that two of the big names who are still on a street corner are now in camp and might even play this weekend. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, the legendary Dallas Cowboy, who many thought might go back uh, to the star uh, on a reduced contract, instead winds up going uh, to a a team that needs him. And he's going to make a big impact, I think, in New England. I think Zeke running it, and that's the history of Belichick as Powerball, then you get the quarterback to make plays. Ezekiel, I still think, has got gas left in the tank. He's only 28. He's had only mm. one major injury. So Zeke is in New England. That's a pretty good acquisition. Fairly affordable contract. They had cap space. It'll wind up being, if, if Zeke has a Zeke year, it's going to wind up being one year about $8 million. Dalvin Cook, and I just don't understand what they're doing in Minnesota, why they let this guy go. But Dalvin Cook has now joined the New York Jets, and he teams up with uh, Aaron Rodgers and the new wide receiver, uh, Alan Lazard, and all the new pieces and all the healthy pieces uh, in the offensive front. And he can run it, and he can catch it. And his deal, he took a pay cut uh, to go to the Jets, but the guy, he's still got time left on his clock to punch in. You know, he might have a 1,500, 1,800 all-purpose yard season because that's the kind of numbers he rang up with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Still out on a street corner, Josh Jacobs. This Raiders situation's not not moving at all, not getting any better. He refuses to sign the franchise tag. They offered him a one-year deal worth 13 mil to come in, which was above the 10 million franchise tag. He said no. So, I mean, a rumor mill around the league, and I find it hard to believe the Raiders would lift the franchise tag. Go ahead. You're a free agent. You leave. You're not going to get this money anywhere else and get started late in the calendar. I mean, I I think it's a stupid move. You know, the last big-time producing running back that did this kind of junk was Le'Veon Bell. Hmm. Pittsburgh Steelers, who had a group of really good years running the ball, catching the ball, and then he got involved in a contract dispute. And if you're not going to pay me, I'm not going to play here. I'm going to sit out. He sat out. He finally came back with a year's rust on him. He was never, ever the same. And now he's out of the NFL. Last we saw doing mixed martial arts fights and getting knocked (laughs) out in a ring. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so don't, you know, don't, don't give up your career and walk away thinking you. I can stand and I can change the NFL. You can't. Um, You know, the Jacobs thing, he was a high pick out of Alabama, a lot of expectations, but he kind of suffered the same fate that Derek Carr suffered. He went into a situation and it was a mess around him. Mm -hmm. And he didn't play, he didn't dominate early. He had a phenomenal season last year, but that's the the first good season he's had in a four-year run. Uh, So I don't know how they're going to solve it. I mean, I think the Raiders would be stupid to just lift the tag and let them walk. 
Um, but he's stupid if he doesn't come back for the 13 mil they offered. I mean, I understand they're angry. They they want multi-year deals for the security. What happens if I get hurt? But, you know, come back and prove yourself. And you can come back. Yeah, I mean, if you want to bet on yourself, that's fine. You come back and say, I'll come back and play for the 13, but you have to put a clause in the contract. You can't franchise tag me next season. Yeah. I go on the open market. That's the way you solve it. Mm-hmm. But neither side's willing to give an inch. What do you think of uh, Dalvin Cook going to the Jets with uh, Aaron Rodgers? Oh, well, because he's ideal for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rodgers throws down the field. Rodgers throws out in the flat. That's where the running back is. This guy runs. He's fast. He's dart dash, physical. He's had a really, really good career. Now, did he had a major shoulder injury, but he's green light go. He's 100% healthy, and I still think there's miles left on those tires, maybe more mileage than Ezekiel Elliott has. I I think it's good acquisitions by both teams. Well, what, what about uh, the Cowboys? Who's their starting running back? Well, Tony Pollard, young guy that they franchise mm-hmm. tag, but he's coming off uh, surgery. Now, they think he'll be ready by opening day, and he did have a breakout season last year when Zeke was bothered by knee problems, and the year before that, as a role player, he made a lot of things happen, run on the ball, etc., but he's not the physical talent that Zeke is in terms of bulk and toughness and be able to take the hits. He's more of a you know out-to-the-edge guy and speed guy once he gets to the second level, so... but. That's the decision. They didn't want to keep Ezekiel Elliott for $10.8 million, I think it was. And then Zeke said, I'm not taking a pay cut. And he wound up getting released. Now, he's if, if he has a Zeke season, maybe it'll be one year, $8 million total. Yeah. The running back marketplace is very different than it used to be some time ago. They seem to be interchangeable pieces. Let's see what happens. On we go. The story we talked about last week, and every day there's a different angle to the story involving Michael Orr. Former starting tackle, Baltimore Ravens, his attack on his former family, whether he was legally adopted, whether or not uh, they took all the money that he was due. It's it's kind of a nasty, nasty story. Um, Michael Orr, a week ago, filed a lawsuit against the family, the Tui family of Memphis. If you ever saw the movie The Blind Side, it's a great football movie. It's It's quite a story. There's some Hollywood theatrics that are part of the movie that might not be part of the real story about Michael Orr. Um, But the Pro Bowl tackle who played nine years, uh, I think he made $58 million for the Ravens and Carolina. A really nice career out of Ole Miss. And it's it's a heartwarming story if you watch the movie and you believe most of what's in the movie. uh, That this family, the Sean Tui family of Memphis, uh, adopted him or brought him in or saved him came from a family of 11 kids and no father, and the mother was a drug addict, etc. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a heartwarming story of what he became as a person academically, an honor student, once he got guidance, what he became as a great football player, what he did at Ole Miss and went on to do in the NFL. But out of nowhere, he goes public and says, they never adopted me. They had me sign a conservatorship in which I they could control my marketing money. I didn't know what I was signing, and the lawyer that I gave me the directions to sign was a family friend of the Tui family. So he's really in a rage about the situation. Well, the family responded at midweek on Tuesday and Wednesday and said, this is all a pack of lies. This is him attempting to make a money grab. And by the way, what he didn't tell you was that he told us if we did not give him $15 million, that he was going to smear our family name. And then obviously he went public 
with the lawsuit. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they settle out of court. The family has already said, we will revoke the conservatorship. He can have his marketing rights. And Sean Tui's wife said, we gave each of the kids equal shares of money from the TV film, including him, plus the son and the daughter who are part of that family. I don't know what's fact or fiction. It's too bad it's kind of ended up this way. It is a hell of a movie. If you've never seen it, it's just, it's a great story. It's heartwarming. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a, it was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. And it's sad to see this play out. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that are attacking, um, you know, um, how do you Michael say Orr. Orr. I was going to say Olin. But there, there's a lot of people t- uh, attacking Orr, saying, oh, he's broke. That's why he wants the money. Uh, you know, and and I just don't get it. It seems like it's blaming the victim. But if he was trying to blackmail the family, then that's a whole other angle. There's, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And the family said they use the word extortion. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of nasty. We'll we'll see where the story goes, but that's that's the update there. Hey, we get to halftime, and a reminder, right at the end of the show, we'll be dipping back into Fans Forum, giving you the opportunity uh, to ask us questions. We'll give you a ton of answers. Our podcast, brought to you by Dixieline, gets summer projects, gets savings at Dixieline Lumber and Home Center stores. Whether it's power tools, whether it's paint, doors, windows, decking, outdoor lighting, patio furniture, and more, it's all at Dixieline Lumber. And check out the great monthly promotions at Dixieline.com. Dixieline, fix it, build it, and enjoy it. John, we come out of halftime and we go to the NBA. Camps won't open for another couple of weeks. But, boy, there's some unsolved situations in pro basketball. Yeah, this uh, this this James Harden story just keeps unfolding. What's the latest? Well, now the NBA union has kind of gotten involved or been dragged into this thing. James Harden last week attacked the general manager in Philadelphia, Daryl Morey. He had played for Morey in Houston. Called him a lawyer, said he a liar, said he would never ever come to camp and wear the Sixer uniform again. You know he's he's insinuated that Daryl Morey, the GM, told him if you pick up the final year of your contract and an option for thirty six mil, we will either trade you or we will give you a contract extension. So James Harden opted in to stay for this coming season. Now. The 76ers say there is no trade. NBA reporters are indicating that they're asking four or five for one to get them to the L.A. Clippers. <laughs> Clippers won't pay that price. You also got a history here of Harden who did this before, and that's a big issue. He did this in Houston. He talked his way out of Houston, forced a trade. He did this in Brooklyn, which was a bloody disaster. And now he's done it again in Philadelphia. I think about James Harden, I think about Kyrie Irving and all that junk. Mm -hmm. So that's a big issue that the reputation precedes him. Now we find out the union has confirmed, because James Harden has one more year off on his contract, if he doesn't come to camp, if he sits out 30 days, that contract tolls into next year. He would still owe Philadelphia the final year of the contract at 36 mil. So then it, then it begs the question, why would you even torch your general manager if your whole plan is to get, is to get moved? Why would you go public mm-hmm. and burn this thing relationship to the ground with Daryl Morey? 
Al Morey says, he's my player. You owe me one year on this contract. You better be in camp. And now the union may have to invoke a $150,000 fine on James Harden, although when you're making 36 mil, a buck 50 is nickels and dimes, Mm -hmm. because there's a new part of the collective bargaining agreement. You can't go public demand a trade and tell the public what team you want to get traded to. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden, he's got he's got all this other stuff, and to make the situation worse, Daryl Morey watched as it disintegrated in Philadelphia last year. Um, we're not giving him a max contract, giving him five more years at fifty mil per season, at his age, thirty six or so, declining skills. We got this personality issue on top of it. We got his baggage. No, no max contract, and they haven't. They have made no no gains at all about talking about any type of contract upgrade. And there's no trade to the L.A. Clippers, so he might be handling bags down at the airport in Philadelphia next. Just, why would he do this? Yeah, I mean, he's just self destructing, is yeah. what he's doing, and it makes you wonder about. You know, he just never seems to be happy. I mean, what kind of a teammate must he be? I mean, he probably gets on the nerves of a lot of his uh, his teammates. As long as he has the ball. Yeah. Uh, answer me this question. Has he ever won bleep in the NBA? You see any championship rings here? Not really. I mean, he's won an MVP, hasn't yeah. he? But, you know, he has, it's not like LeBron that's trying to chase a championship. Um, he just seems to always be escaping a bad situation because he doesn't like it. He's disgruntled. So, you know, I didn't realize he's 36. So, you know, there's not much gas left in the tank. Like I said, can you say Kyrie Irving? I mean, yeah. it's the same kind of junk that just keeps happening because the players run the league. Yeah, exactly. Uh, absolutely amazing. Let's go from basketball. Let's talk about hockey. It's quite a story. Yeah, I'm, this is always great when we talk hockey because we, we learn a lot about the sport as well as a lot of the legends in the game. This guy was a great defenseman in a very, very different era. Uh, he's just passed away. Bobby Bond, a uh, legendary Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman, uh, passed away at the age of 86. Hockey Hall of Fame. He spent 17 years in the NHL. Think about that wear and tear factor. Uh, played 14 years Toronto Maple Leafs, then went to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, former MVP, MVP of the Stanley Cup. He won four rings with the Maple Leafs in about an eight-year span. Wow. He was just kind of the anchor on the back end. His nickname was Hard Rock. He was, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking old school, 5'8", five, 5'9", Built like a cement block, and just you could not get in front of the net. Uh, he was he was just great, uh, and he just passed away at the age of eighty six. And in, in Toronto, because that era of the Maple Leafs, that's the last time they won the bloody Stanley Cup was nineteen sixty seven, and Bobby Bond was part of that. They're mourning the passing. He was just he was a really great gentleman. But that was a different era. But think about that. And here is the the asterisk to his his history of stats. The end of his career, he played in the Stanley Cup Finals with the Red Wings on a broken ankle. Oh my God! And that I, was that was before he got hit by a shot, mm-hmm. and he just it it got numb, and they taped it up. He played the whole series with a fractured ankle, never came out of the lineup, and 
they were real men back then. Yeah, well, they were real men, and they didn't wear much protective gear no. either. So, I mean, did you get a chance to see him play in person? I saw him on TV right mm-hmm. at the end of his career, but I, I've known a lot of people. I know people who played with him, and I mean, the Maple Leafs in that era with Davy Keon, Hall of Famer, and Frank Mahovlich, Hall of Famer. They just they were a great, great team. But boy, he was. He was old school. Old school, baby. You know, but I just love seeing like these guys from a different era. And uh, they're just, they're stud athletes, but just back in their day. Okay, let's talk soccer because there's a lot of different layers of stories here to talk about. Yeah, it looks like uh, the, the hammer dropped. Yeah, the coach of Team USA is gone. Vlatko and Donovsky. You know, he failed in the Olympics with Team USA. Then he failed... Uh, in the World Cup with Team USA. A lot of controversy follows him. He took a program that had done really well under the prior coach, Jill Ellis, and they failed to win. You can you can use excuses or explanations while well, Team in Transition it was one of the youngest rosters Team USA's ever had. Uh, you can use the explanation that he was trying to build formations and breakout patterns to the talents of all the really young, skilled people they have. Sophia Smith, uh, Brittany um, Rodman, etc. But at the end of the day, he's responsible for formations, the game plan. He's responsible for the substitutions. He's responsible for why did you move this changes player's position and make her play something different in the World Cup games? They scored only four goals in four games, three of them against an overwhelmed Vietnam team. They went 1-1-2, uh, one, one, and two, got to the knockout round against Sweden and got knocked out. Uh, you know, I, I, I watched all those games in the middle of the night, and I thought, yeah, it's frustrating. They did not score goals. They had a lot of opportunities, but all their young players were the ones who were taking the shots, and they were hitting crossbars and hitting post mm-hmm. and getting shots blocked point blank right in front. They just could not put the ball uh, behind the net. So he gets gassed. I, I think the bigger story is that his international record with Team USA was only three, five, and two. He won only mm-hmm. three of the ten games with a program that was back-to-back World Cup champion two straight times. Where do they go from here? This is going to be interesting because this is marquee job. There's no doubt that Team USA has resources and assets and great, great young talent. Where do they go? They supposedly want to talk to Serena Wegman, who is the head coach of the team that's going to play Sunday in the championship. She's from England. Hmm. She's really good. The English Federation says no. She has a contract through 2025. We're not going to let you talk to her. Uh, There's talk about the coach that put Team Canada into the knockout round, and then they finally got eliminated. Bev Priestman, she's done a really good job with virtually no resources at all. Interesting name, Free Spirit. His name is Graham Potter. Coached for Chelsea. He's had two different jobs in the English Premier League. Very aggressive guy, very dynamic guy in terms of formations, wants to push the ball up the pitch. Graham Potter's going to get some consideration. And one other name that's just surfaced, and contract is up, and this is really interesting. His name is Peter Gerhardsson. He's the head coach of Sweden. Hmm. Sweden, of course, got into the knockout round and finally got knocked out, but Sweden's the one that took Team USA down. 
it's a marquee job, and there'll be a lot more names that that will surface. Uh, the head coach from England, Wigman, is really, really good. Uh, so they'll they'll probably do something different, but I don't think the cupboard is empty by any stretch. I do think they need a different personality and a different leader. And whether that's an American or whether that's a Euro, they just have to build a program that's going to play to the Sophia Smiths and the Rodmans uh, of, of the world because all these girls are going to come back without maybe two or three of the great veterans who have now retired. Yeah, well, I, I think we expected this to happen because this is what always happens in the World Cup. It's like Black Monday, the day yeah. after they get jettisoned. Um, but it, it's interesting that you brought up a lot of alternative coaches that are already national coaches. It makes you wonder, what what about some of the professional coaches here in the United States or even some of the top collegiate coaches? Is this like way above their pay grade? No, not really. There's a coach by the name of Jesse March. I think it was with New York Red Bull and also coached in the English League. There's a coach in Colorado, an MLS, that I think is going to get some consideration too. But when you have a chance to get a marquee coach from a World Cup program that has all that experience has been there, built it, and done it. Mm-hmm. I think you make a run. And there's no doubt that, you know, Team USA's got a lot more resources to make available than they do in England or Hungary or Poland or wherever else. So that, that'll be fascinating. It's not it, The hire's not going to come in the next 15 minutes, I guarantee you that. So it was time, and I usually don't call for coaches to be fired, but I just did not understand what Vlatko was doing uh, with with first of all, substitution patterns, and then moving people around at midfield and at fullback, which made no sense to me, and why you're not starting some people and you're bringing them off the bench, and why some games you didn't bring anybody off the bench when you obviously needed a boost. I mean, you go go four games and score only four goals with the defending champion, not good. Yeah, there was a lot of criticism thrown around, for sure. So, yeah, turn the page. Let's see what's next. Okay, and what is next is going to come at 3 o'clock Sunday morning, our time. This is this is going to be cool. Uh, England, Spain, the finale of the Women's World Cup down under in Australia. You know, if, if you look in the rearview mirror right now, look who's gone. Japan sent home. Many people thought. That was the side that was going to win this. Sweden, who had pulled all these upsets, gone. Germany, kind of invented the game, gone. France, gone. Uh, end of the day, root for England. For them to get where they have gotten is absolutely stunning. They have three of their top goal scorers have been out with knee injuries. Mm. And England is still going to play on on Sundays. I mean, it, it, proof in the pudding uh, what Serena Wagman has done as a head coach in England, fascinating considering how many they lost. And they they dominated their their semifinal game. Shots on goal, it was just absolutely stunning. So England, Spain, 3 o'clock, end of the World Cup. Uh, I'm rooting for England because... I like everybody in London. Yeah. It's, it's Isn't it neat, too, when, when two nations face off that historically used to be at war with each other centuries ago, <laughs> and now they're facing off in the finals? But let me ask you, Lee, do you know that do the people in England and, you know, in London or even the people in Madrid and Spain, are they fired up for this? Are they as excited for the Women's uh, World Cup as they are for the men? The The common thought is that the pubs will not close on Sunday night. They'll just transition into Sunday morning, okay, uh, and watch the game. Yeah, they're 
obviously English Premier League is really it just started the season just started and that grabs all the attention but for this three-hour window on Sunday yeah everybody will be watching and rooting for the Lioness. Yeah, right on. They beat the Matildas. They beat Australia, <laughs> in which was a real surprise because everybody in that stadium was, was rooting for the Aussies. So it's been great. So we have covered a topic, a lot of topics on the table. Time now to peek inside Fans Forum, brought to you by Dixie Line. John's got a lot of friends here that just overwhelm us with questions, answers, comments, cheap shots. Go ahead, John. Get started. Where do you want to go? Okay, let's go to Carl here, and he's talking about the Padres. Three from Texas, two of three from Baltimore. Now watch them lose three against Arizona. Padres, the most fun but frustrating team ever. We've been through a lot of strange seasons covering Padre baseball as far back as the one was San Diego's Jack Murphy Stadium and at Qualcomm and then at Petco. You know, they, they need somebody that's a catalyst. Does El Nino's theft of home light a fire? Might be, but tonight they're facing the only legitimate frontline starting pitcher that Arizona's got in Zach Gallen mm-hmm. in this Thursday night game who's 12-5 and five and just beat him. He's beaten him a couple times. Uh, this season. So we'll see if the Padres can build on this. I think, you know, I said last week they needed a streak. If they're going to climb back into this thing, (coughs) they needed a big streak. Well, what better way to have a streak than do it against Arizona, which was skidding. And and then obviously Baltimore's really young. And I think the Orioles got overwhelmed out here. And then you get Miami coming in here. And Miami's not what Miami's a really young team with a really young pitching staff, so they're feeling a little bit of the heat of this pennant race too. They're not playing the same, so there could be a streak right here. Does Fernando doing what he did the dash to home plate? Does it change everything as it relates to that dugout, that clubhouse? And they need to get aggressive. They really do because if you're aggressive, then maybe you manufacture some runs along the way. Well, they're going to have to score a lot of runs because Rich Hill is pitching for the Padres, and you, you, you're you not sure what you're going to get. You'd be, probably be lucky if he gets through three innings. Um, I mean, thank goodness the Arizona Diamondbacks are a bunch of mashers, so maybe he can figure out a way to trick them. But this pitching matchup looks very lopsided tonight. 11.79 ERA since the trade from the Pirates. So, And like we said at the onset of the show, this is Jekyll. This is Hyde. Oh. How the hell can you beat all these first-place teams and take these series against these teams and then lose these series to the Pirates twice, Kansas City, Washington, and Arizona? Next question. Okay, let's go here. Another Padre comment from John. He says, one thing about A.J. Preller, he's given the Padres some hope and something to cheer for during some dark times in San Diego. When the Chargers applied to leave town in 2015, he was the rock star GM. He's made a lot of bold moves, you know, and, and we have talked to extensively about, damn, you traded the farm system away twice. And we've talked about the length of the contracts he's giving. But, you know, at the end of the day, his theory works. Boots on the ground everywhere. Mm -hmm. Hassan Kim, he might be as popular, if not the most popular player. And they went out and found him and they scouted him and they outbid other people and they convinced him to come play for us. Now they got to re-sign him. But, you know, Hassan Kim, you look You look at Nick Martinez. They went out and they scouted this guy, and they said, this guy has now found a way to pitch. He was doing it in Japan. He's been pretty trustworthy for a year and a half for the most part. 
Uh, so, you know, if you go through the roster, there are acquisitions. You know, Gary Sanchez had been dumped by, what, three or four teams since he had the great start with the Yankees. They saw something in this guy. They thought he can catch. He'll throw guys out. And by the way, he'll hit some bombs. He has hit a hell of a lot of bombs. 16 home runs, I think. Yeah. A chunk of them at Petco Park. So, you know, give give A.J. credit for, quote, boots on the ground and finding players. Not all of them have worked out. There's a whole pile of them that have failed. And he's he's traded a whole bunch of them away. But that's what kind of stunned me when I saw that sign. DFA-AJ. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I'm, I'm not on board with that. I, I'm one of the guys that thinks that he should remain. Um, you know, In order to you know, improve, you have to take risks. And a lot of those deals, he got rid of some good talent and some of the ones didn't turn out. But overall, I like what he's doing. Did you see that now the Padres have two top 10 guys in the minor leagues? Mm -hmm. So it's Salas and Merrill. And now they've been playing Merrill on every one of the infield positions and in the corner outfield. So there maybe he might be uh, coming up here pretty quick, maybe next year, right? There's no doubt that further down the farm system, you know, from Fort Wayne through San Antonio, back to Lake Elsinore, there's probably eight or nine kids that are doing really well. The only thing I'll caution you, because we've always been dragged into this trap of, my God, look at what this guy's doing. <laughs> well, that's 3,000 miles away from being in the major leagues at Petco Park, and mm-hmm. not a lot of them have gotten there and, quote, done it. But they've they've stockpiled a lot of kids at the lower end of the farm system, so... There's this next wave. Some might get here within a year and a half. There'll be more coming. And they're going to need it because these guys are going to have a lot of mileage on them. I don't know where you Dorfers is going to be in 15 months. And who knows whether Blake Snell comes back. And, you know, Manny's Manny and Bogart's Bogart's. And they got some of those guys are going to have a significant amount of age. So the next wave is there, which means that A.J. has done a good job locating, finding more talent. But they're not deliverable at Petco Park a week from Friday. I guarantee yeah. you that. Yeah, they, got, they have a ways to go. Next question here. This is from Joey. Um, that's right. Blue heaven on earth. Dodgers smash the Padres across the board. Don't be afraid to pile on. Just <laughs> go ahead and offend everybody in San Diego. No, they've done a great job. I mean, I went back and did some research on Dave Roberts' career record as manager of the Dodgers. He's got a higher winning percentage than the two greatest Dodger managers, Walter Alston and Tommy Lasorda. I mean, Dave, Dave Roberts is like 741 wins, I think, in his career. All these division titles, one World Series. Can it be critiqued? Sure, he can be critiqued. He's made a bunch of mistakes handling, mishandling the pitching staff in postseason. But the you know, Dodgers as an organization are just, it's a really special place. And you may dislike Dodger Blue. That's okay. That's your choice. I respect Dodger Blue because of the heritage of the franchise. Back to when I was a little kid, that was my first major league game my dad ever took me to see, the Dodgers against the old St. Louis Cardinals at Ebbets Field. I didn't like the Dodgers, but as I came out here and I worked more and interacted with everybody in baseball, I really respect the organization. I think they have a phenomenal job, and they spend money, and they've always spent money, and they've always drawn 4 million fans, and Dodger Stadium's kind of a unique place. we got a great situation here with this owner, that ballpark, the gas lamp quarter, the prices of tequila that you had last Friday. So, I mean, <laughs> we got a great thing going here, too. But, let's, you know, respect the Dodgers. And the flip side, respect what the Padres have become for the short window. Yeah, I started following baseball as a youngster in the early 70s, growing up as a Giants fan. And so 
you know, right away, it's like it's preached to you like religion that you don't like the Dodgers. And the Dodgers would always kick the Giants around in the 70s. And then they've gone on winning. And it's interesting to hear when people talk about the old Brooklyn Dodgers and how they suffered for so long. Lovable losers, because for my lifetime, they've always been really good or at least above average. They've been phenomenal. I mean, everything changed, obviously, with the arrival. And this is old history, the arrival of Branch Rickey. But you people sitting at home, Google Branch Ritchie, Ricky, and just look at all the all the things that he did as it relates to not just Jackie Robinson, but farm systems and wind, because he did it in St. Louis, and he brought that blueprint to the old Ebbets Field when the Dodgers were just terrible, and what he made the Dodgers into. So now there's there's great history and there's great tradition, and it's a special place. The O'Malley, Peter O'Malley was one tremendous gentleman. I did not like Walter O'Malley because he took the Dodgers out of Brooklyn and moved them to L.A. and it quote money grab. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, great franchise, great franchise. Okay, you, would you like Fernando's uh, retirement for his number? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, there's big debate whether Fernando should be on the Hall of Fame. I had forgotten that he had only won 174 games, but he pitched so much. He was such a warrior, and to a degree, Losorda overused him. But uh, what a what a great great player, but he's one of the great many international players the Dodgers have had historically. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. opened the doors for a lot of people, a lot of players from a lot of different places. On we go as Fans Forum continues. Okay, let's go get some social media comments in here, and uh, how about, uh, let's let's talk a little bit here, Bor, about conference realignment. And this is um, from Zizix saying, merging the Mountain West uh, is a better idea, you know, for the Pac-4. Spending $68 million to buy four schools is dumb, considering the reduction of revenues. The new conference will be only conference in the Western United States, creating more value than the sum of the parts as they're currently composed. I think the burning question is, what do the other two-thirds of these Mountain West schools actually bring to the Pac-4? That's a that's a burning question because you're not going to have the same conference. It's not going to be equal to what the Pac-12 was. I mean, there, there's nobody at the bottom end of the Mountain West that you can say is equal to Arizona State or Arizona. So I, I just don't know the end game if you haul everybody from the Mountain West. You know, they'd be excited in, in Colorado Springs and and. Fort Collins to, oh, we're in the Pac-12, but you're not a Pac-12 program. I'm sorry, the Air Force is not. Colorado State is not. You know, Wyoming is more 1AA than it's true 1A just because of lack of people to recruit and resources. San Jose State is not equal to what's gone on in the Bay Area. So somebody have to argue long and hard with me. I do understand the finances that it sounds absurd that the Pac-4 would think about paying half of the exit fee for the top four schools to leave the Mountain West. I don't know if that if that's workable. The dollar value on a contract would be down at least to start, but there's something that you can't say that it doesn't get rebuilt along the way. So I don't have an answer. All I can do is report what I hear and from the people I network. And there's, I mean, there are so many different proposals that are being discussed about how to rally the Pac-4 back. But it appears that Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford are linking arms, and Mm -hmm. they're not going to leave, and they're going to find a way to see if there's some 
creative stuff to get other schools in there. And there may be some more wild, wild things that might be proposed out there. I don't, I don't know whether it's linking with another conference and playing interlocking schedule. And I don't know who that other conference is. Is, is it the ACC or is it the AAC, the one that's got all the Texas schools in it? It's just not going to be the Pac-12 that we used to know and love. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you know Trev Albert's proposal about that. What, what do you call it? Like some kind of a super league or Champions, Champions League? Because um, it's really football is driving all of this, and um, and for all the rest of the sports, have you ever seen a map of the United States where they show the logos of all the colleges D one around the uh, United States? I mean, 80% of them are on the other side of the Mississippi River. Mm -hmm. And so it leaves very few options, and especially for the non-football sports. So I don't don't know what they're going to do here, but it just seems natural. There's got to be some way to bring the Mountain West together, and hopefully they can retain that Power 5 level so they can qualify for the big money. Well, they've got 12 months because everybody's in the final year of their Pac-12 TV contract this year. It'll be such a lame duck year with... Such mixed emotions, you know. Oregon State does not really want to play Oregon, and that that Civil War game is going to be brutal. And the Apple Cup game, Washington, Washington State. Mm-hmm. I think there'd be a few people pissed off about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you know, so it's just it's going to be a different time. They got twelve months to come up with a formula that will work. But the problem is there's not a lot of people out there that you can go choose from. Okay, let's move on. Move on. Let's uh how about this comment here about Bill Belichick? I thought yeah. this was good. It says, Don't forget Belichick had no success pre Tom Brady either. It's almost as if he's isn't as great as people say. Well I think he's a great defensive coach and he's just got a philosophy of the type of player that he must have to to make his program work. And he didn't do well in Cleveland early. And he wound up getting fired as the coach of the then Cleveland Browns. And then went back and and he became a coordinator again from where he had been before with Parcells. And then he wound up going and they hit the jackpot on Tom Brady. His record uh, since Brady left, I think, is 24 and 25. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, is he a great coach? Well, he doesn't have Brady anymore. (laughs) But, you know, his, his record is not 18 and 38. Right. And the NFL is a tough place to win, but uh, he just, he, he's cut from a different cloth. Um, I enjoyed interviewing him a couple times. I interviewed him. He's just, he can really be obstinate. I understand that. He is what he's going to be, and that you just have to accept what he is. But he's, I think he's a great defensive coach, and I think he takes a special type of guy intellectually to play what they play defensively. Um, I, I remember asking Rodney Harrison and Junior Seau, who, of course, were with him at the end of their careers. And I said, what was it like? He said, well, you can't imagine what it was like uh, just in terms of the intellect and the knowledge and the preparation and the pressure. They just they run it very differently in Foxborough. So but he is 24 and 25 <laughs> post Tom Brady. So all the Belichick haters in the AFC East are popping a shot at him. Well, I mean, he, he must have always been a bright light, right? Because he oh, yeah. had the, the opportunity to be the head coach with Cleveland and with the Jets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, he's had all these opportunities, and finally he got the players to make it work. But he just seems like a curmudgeon to me, yep. you know? And and he still wears the ripped sweatshirt, you know? And he what has those one-word answer press conferences, and he's, he's a character. Yeah, his, his dad was a coach at Navy. 
And uh, I mean, that's where he came out of that environment. And he went to small college, small Ivy League type schools in New England. So he's, he's a really smart guy. But he's 24 and 25 without Tom Brady and everybody in Buffalo now is they're paying him back for decades of anger <laughs> yeah. and anguish. And yeah. Aaron Rodgers and the Jets are going to try to do the same doggone thing. And Miami wants to repay a few loans, too, in Foxborough. So. Yeah. Things have been tough. Couple questions. Go ahead. Fire okay, on. here we go. Let's. Uh, this is a comment that we were talking about before about Congress getting involved yeah. with uh, with college sports, and it says Congress has never fixed anything. It makes matters worse. Do what Europe does. Take sports out of college control. Make them private entity club sports with their own private governing body. Let colleges be about education. The clubs can be associated with colleges for extracurricular activities and college spirit. This will never happen because it's always about the money. Is he allowed to drink before he sends us those questions? <laughs> uh, it's a nice concept. It would never, ever happen. There'd be a revolt in America over that if you tried to change college football. Um, but this thing is so out of control. And I think, I think this new structure of what has been proposed uh, with Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Tommy Tuberville, the former coach who's now, you know, in, in Mississippi. I think the structure of this new NIL is going to be put in place and Congress is going to give the NCAA antitrust exemptions, which allows them to run this thing very differently. So I, I, I think the transfer portal is going to change within a year. And I bet a year from now, as we as we do our podcast, you're going to see some changes also in the structure of how the NIL operates. And everybody will play by the same rule book. You know, there's a ton of money that's being shelled out at Texas A&M and at Florida and some of these ACC places like Clemson or Georgia. Everybody's going to operate with the same pool of money in terms of distribution. And that'll be part of the new congressional NCAA blueprint that they're working on right now. Because what we have right now, I think, is destructive. Look at the end result. Look at look at where we've gone in the last two years in college athletics. Look at where we are now in the last two weeks since Black Friday in the Pac-12. Just think of all the fires that are out there that have to be put out. Yeah. I mean, you've got the, the conference realignment. You've got these big media deals and all the money. You've got the NIL. You've got the transfer portal. You've got... Uh, players that are involved in gambling um it's it's insane it's like they can't you, you ideally you'd like to fix one at a time but they're going to have to have, figure out a, maybe a comprehensive solution i still think it's hilarious that congress is going to quote solve the problem by creating a monopoly for them which is usually you hear a lot of the, those people in dc going against monopolies Shall be fascinating, but I do believe there will be a new blueprint that will be put in place. You got one more you want to fire away here? Okay, let's take this Aztec comment. It's kind of brutal, but uh, this is uh, about the comment about the, the program this year. Every coach went through COVID, so no excuses. This team is manure and soon off to the FCS because they thought they were elite, and now no conference wants their drama. Oh, my goodness. Just feel free to pile on Brady Hoke. That's okay. <laughs> I think last year was a one-off. I think he's learned some things about dealing with crisis situations. But, you know, and I thought often about this, and we'll, we'll have this another topic another time. You think about the, how hard it was to be a director of athletics for J.D. Wicker, how hard it has been on Brady with a COVID mess, 
the fact that they had to go on the road for two full years to play all road games and nobody followed them, then all of a sudden they get ambushed by the NIL. And the reality, the true reality is they don't have the money to compete for recruits in the NIL any longer, not to the dimensions that Pac-4 or Big 12, obviously SEC, the kind of money that they're shoveling at guys. And because of the lack of leadership from the NCAA, players are getting tampered with. That's how they lost their NFL tackle, Josh Simmons, who winds up going to Ohio State. So they've come through a lot of adversity. And, you know, the COVID testing thing, I, you could go to bed with a team and wake up the next morning and half your team would be sick and test positive. And they went through some of that trauma. And I, I understand that every, a lot of other people did too. So they've had a real tough run. I And the community has just kind of step back. I mean, it, it is stunning. Their opening game is against Ohio U. There are 11,000 unsold tickets in that shiny new stadium. Mm. Have not sold. And, and the community has not put its arms around the football program like it has the basketball program, which stuns me because they play a great home schedule. Holy cow. They're going to be a player in the conference if this quarterback is what I think this quarterback is. And Brady's got all these players playing his defense, which is so radically different. I I think they'll have a bounce back season, but it's not the Pac-12 and it's not the big time. It is, quote, group of five. But that doesn't mean it can't be good, does it? And they have been good for such a long period of time. And what Brady did to flip it, what Rocky Long did to push it on, what Brady did getting back here is different than it had been done forever, going all the way back to the odd good years they had with Al Luganville and prior to that, obviously, with Claude Gilbert and, and Don Coriel. So it is what it is. I, I think it's a good conference. I like the coaches. They got good kids in the program. They don't have a big criminal element of problems there, despite what happened to the punt god, Matt Arise, and the bad decision he made. So I'm, And they have a new stadium, and their leadership has really come through some really, really tough times. So I'm signing the memo that these are honorable guys. Support them. Yeah, well, remember when, you, to your point, you said when Rocky Long was there and the program was growing. This is before COVID, before they were playing in Carson. That was the one city, one team. That was their big theme. And boy, you could feel the community starting to kind of come, you know, support them. But they were still playing at the old Qualcomm Stadium. And, you know, that place was like a funky shell. They, it never felt right. I, I'm of the opinion that if they can start winning again, then the, in this new stadium, I think they can light a fire there because I think we're hungry for football in San Diego. We're hungry for a champion. We're already on board with a basketball program. So th- there's there's an opportunity here that I think Brady Hoke and his guys can really strike gold if they have a great year this year. And if they get dragged into the Pac-12 or the Pac-4, whatever the expansion league is called, it'll be kind of cool because it'll be a, a new experience. But they got they got to win this season. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed our Thursday podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, you will enjoy it. We thank you for being part of our get together. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. I hope we're talking about the team being back in the wild card race for sure by the time we get together really bonus monday coverage yeah let's let's get out the brooms and hope for a sweep <laughs> thanks for being with us have yourself a great sports weekend we will see you on monday on hacksaw's headlines join us again for hacksaw's headlines on youtube facebook and twitter and find the audio version on your favorite podcast app Touchdown, San Diego!
For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.